Beautiful. Thank you. Until you get yourself out of the way, this life won't work. As long as you're self-conscious, you-conscious, you're still operating from a sense of need. And we can't really, I mean finally, firmly, fixedly, begin to operate in this time sequence in which God has placed us until somehow or another we put self on the shelf. When we have come to, to terms, when we've made peace with who we are, and we can, as it were, put ourselves out of the way, then we can begin to experience the, the, the realm of life, the realm of life that God has destined us for. As long as we live under the concept of the false idea of need, because we really are not people of need, but as long as we live under the false concept of need, then no matter how things are going, there's still a fragment, uh, the grave clothes, so to speak, the remnant in our consciousness of inadequacy, of coming up short, of not being all that God wants us to be. And until we see we are all that God wants us to be, then we're never really permanently fixed in the fact that living waters are flowing out from me. If I'm not fixing who I am, I still think some of those living waters have got to turn in and bless me and touch me and meet my needs and build me up and strengthen me and help me and guide me and watch over me and all that stuff. But there, there can come a time, and as, as you know, many of you have already experienced it, there can come a time when the revelation of God makes himself known to you so vitally that you begin to see, and that's an inward seeing, isn't it? You begin to see within yourself the kind of thing that Norman introduced to us last night with the words total. It's a total life we're after. It's an absolute life we're after. The time I got saved, I went out and bought a New Testament. And I was working for my dad in a little printing shop. And this was uh, many years ago, and it was before the new fancy printing presses that shops have in them today. So most of my days were spent watching a machine go clickety-clickety-clickety-click. And every time it hit like that, it was putting ink on paper. And all I had to do all day long was stand there, feed the thing and watch it. And if, it, if something went wrong, stop it and fix it and turn it back on and watch it go clickety-clickety-clickety-click. Well, there's a lot of clickety-clicks in there when nothing went wrong. So I read the New Testament. I'd stand there with one eye on the machine, one eye on the New Testament. But I would be reading along. 
And early in my Christian life, I came to Galatians 2.20. And not being an inner person at that time, but the only thing I could be at that time, an outer person. I'm here, God's there. And not knowing a great deal about trusting the Spirit to tell me anything, I went to those whom I did trust. The only thing I could do. I went to the most important Christian person in my life at that time and asked him something like this. Well, what about Galatians 2.20? Paul said he's not alive. Christ is alive in him. And I got an answer that did, wasn't the answer. So I laid Galatians 2.20 on the shelf, so to speak. Of course, I don't mean I never looked at it again, but I laid it on the shelf as a possibility for now. It wasn't many months. I went away to college to prepare for the ministry. Still didn't know any reality. God was out there. I was in here. So I, the, the next most important person that took the place of the first one, but this next person whom I really trusted in mind, I said, what about this thing, Galatians 2.20? What about it? Does Christ really live in us? And again, a partial answer, an idealistic, uh, the concept of being too idealistic, futuristic, that kind of thing. Laid it on the shelf. Went to seminary. A professor that I loved, fell close to, in the New Testament department. Went to him again. I went again with Galatians 2.20. What about Galatians 2.20? Is it possible? Is it? Can it be? Still again, the put-off, not a put-off kind, but a futuristic kind of answer, or wait, 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 that kind of thing. So put it on the shelf again. Many years went by. Many years went by, and it was taken off the shelf for me. And I said, again, then, what about Galatians 2.20? Can it be real? Can it be now? Am I really not here? And somebody that you don't see is here, living his life in me, as me? And some white-haired fool said, yes. <laughs> yes, it can be. And my mind said, how can it be? And my spirit said, it is. Which is Revelation? This or this? This is Revelation. This is Revelation. This is why sometime in our meetings, when everything in your soul life is saying, heretic, blasphemy, can't be, can't be, something in you saying, tis, tis, tis. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Thank God he is. Because Revelation doesn't take place here. It takes place 18 inches south here. God reveals himself in our spirit. In our spirit. And he says, yes, the absolutes are. The I am's are. And when you begin to live in my reality, you'll begin to say, I am. And until you live in my reality, you'll say, I'm becoming. Until you begin to live in my reality, you'll say, I want to be. Until you begin to live in my reality, you'll say, I hope I am. Boy, how many times have I said that? I'd like to be. <laughs> I wish it were. Maybe someday. And God's on his throne saying, you are, you are. And then one day, out of many, many experiences, I had to say something like this. Lord, I'm tired of disagreeing with you. I'm tired of you saying through your spirit and the word, that certain things are true 
And I'm saying back to you, they're not true. And all that's coming out of me telling you that things aren't true is inner dissatisfaction, inner turbulence. And that roller coaster ride that so many Christians know about, up and down, hot and cold, in and out. I said, Lord, I'm going to do something that's crazy for me. I'm going to agree with you. And I think I was really thinking, particularly that time, around Romans 8. <clears throat> and I said, okay, these three things I'm going to believe, they don't look true in my life. But you say in Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation. I've been saying there is. So I agree with you. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I'm in Christ Jesus. I agree with you. There's no more any condemnation. I won't take any more condemnation for anything that comes down the pipe. And we'll see what happens. There was another one. There's no separation. I said, well, Lord, all these years I've known nothing but separation. I've known some nearness. But nearness still has space in it. I've never known anything but varying degrees of separation. But you say there's no separation. I'll agree with you. There's no more, never again, any possibility of separation between me and you. If, if I'm really joined to you and you're really expressing yourself through me, as Norman says, who are you? You're stuck with me. There's no separation. I say I agree with you. Then, then one that was referred to either in our group or out here, All things work together for good. I said, how can that be? I've spent my life saying things don't work together for good. But if you say they do, I'll agree with you. All things work together for good. What's going on here? I was only seeing one thing. I was only seeing God. Somehow or another, he broke through the through the mind log jam and made his loving appeal to spirit and spirit wins out. Spirit wins out. Now then, what? how did this really break into my life? Norman had been in our home for one evening and shared with us to a small group of friends that we'd invited in to, to hear him. We'd, my wife had heard him once. I'd, I hadn't heard him. So we invited a few people in to hear him. And he spoke in our home that night. I think he was speaking something around there, a concept of faith is substance, and I was saying, you're crazy. Faith isn't substance. Substance is substance. You don't have anything until you see it. What do you mean talking about you got something when you don't see it just because you say you got it? So you're crazy. And we argued back and forth, and every time I asked him one of my important questions, he'd laugh, just like him snicking over there now. He won't give you an answer, he just laughs. But that was the night, you see, my spirit was saying, you're hearing what you're, you're hearing the truth. But my mind was giving those questions, how? How? And a few weeks later, driving down the road in my car by myself, God's, God, God came. I just snap my fingers and I see it. Spirit is reality. Spirit is reality. Who's spirit? God is spirit. There's only one person who's real. It's God. 
And unfortunately for us, we never see him. Because we don't see spirit. We can be spirit and we can experience spirit, but we can't see it. But when, you, when God gives you whatever, in, whatever your flash of insight is, that's it. Everything else from then on is just a, an elaboration on that one flash. That's why we, we tend to avoid the word growth. We know what people mean with the word growth, but we, we avoid the word growth because where so many people are coming from with the word growth, and we lean toward the word awareness. Because what's really happened in all of us? We become aware of who already was. We become aware of what already was. Of course, we're really talking about a hymn, so it is. We become aware of, of the person who already was. And our aware, awareness is just expanding. Oh, I see more and more of who? Him. More and more of him. We're no more seeing more and more about him. We're seeing more and more of him. As, as uh, our friend was saying this afternoon, he's the peace, he's the joy, he's the light, he's the love, he's it. But until we saw that, we said, give me some, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. But when that sudden flash of light comes, we say, oh, I see it. And it just explodes. It explodes toward the future. It explodes toward the past. It absorbs the present. It just, boom, goes off. And everything is just now. Everything just is. Time is eliminated as far as a decisive factor in your life. You live in the presence of God. I mean that in the sense of present tense of God. You live in the nowness of God. You just are. You're just operating from from isness, from from being an I ammer. And you 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 become a fool for Christ's sake. Well, or something even worse. Family wants to put you in prison or do something to you. Now, there's a critical point that that I, I don't think we can go over too often. And that is this this concept that Norman already has spoken to this afternoon, but you can't go over too many times the, the truth that Paul was getting over to us in Romans 6 and the truth that he's witnessing to in Galatians 2.20. You see, because what I've, what I've been seeing, and each one of us have our own little terms, so if my little terms have some meaning to you, good. If they don't, forget it. Lean on, lean on your own little terms. But you see, what I've discovered is that most people don't know they're dead to sin. They think they're just divorced from it. You know? And he's still running around. And in the dark of night, he can still get in and get you. But Paul doesn't say, I've been divorced from... I've been divorced with Christ. and I've been crucified with Christ. Now... I've got to draw my line. I've been going around the country saying there's nothing to say about me. Like I told you last night, I haven't, uh, haven't written any books yet. I haven't been to the Holy Land. I haven't won any mafia person to Jesus. So if I ever am famous, it's going to be as a man who drew the line. There's a line right there. I want you to see that line. I don't have a blackboard to put it on, but there's a line, an imaginary line. And above that line is God's revelation. And below that line is the human situation. The human situation. 
Now, if we could just do for, for illustration's sake something that is common to everyone in the room, we're believing, common to everyone in the room, and you can see the point I'm after. The first great revelation truth that broke through on our minds was this. Christ died for my sins. Like Norman has said, it doesn't take any great person to believe in the, in the death of Christ. You get into revelation when you begin to believe in the, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But here's a truth that's above the line. Christ died for my sins. For God so loved the world. Those passages that relate directly to the salvation experience where we're talking about the blood and the sins. What's below the line? The consciousness of my sins. Oh, my sins. Oh, my sins. Oh, my wrongdoings. Oh, this. Oh, that. Oh, this. Oh, that. And what takes place generally, but in specific ways it would differ for every one of us, but what takes place in our lives in a general way is this truth above, above the line, Christ died for my sins, breaks through and becomes more real to me than what? Then I'm a sinner. If this truth never breaks through, uh, comes and, and, and intercepts my life, then I'll always be conscious of being a sinner. And I, as normal said, my eyes will be on sinning. Oh, miserable me. Oh, sinner that I am. Oh, I did this. Oh, I did that. Oh, I did this. But when the gospel is preached to us in those elementary terms, in the, in the first experience of the gospel, the gospel is Christ died for your sins. But that truth, that breaks through. That breaks through. And we would say, oh, I see. What he says he's done about my sins has become more real to me than the appearances of sins. Now, I know there's a little bit of time there in most of our lives, at least it was for me, where that truth has to be worked into us and it becomes fact. You see, we take Jesus Christ as our Savior, using that one, and we say, oh, I'm saved, I'm saved, but gee whiz, I did that again. I was doing that the day before yesterday before I became a Christian, so what about that? You know, and all of this, I still did that. So we say, well, what's going on? I remember I trusted Christ one Sunday morning, and those things kept coming up to me, but I would say, well, Lord, if I didn't do it, I'll do it again. I'll trust you again. Because it wasn't fixed yet, you see. But I knew it was saved, but I want to be sure. Because, see, when God comes in and, 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 and moves it on your heart, you begin to love him, don't you? You've got a love for God you never had before. You begin to love this one. You don't want to really want to hurt this one. You don't want to be an embarrassment to this one. So when things keep cropping up in your life, you keep saying, well, Lord, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Then there comes a time. When it comes, who knows? How it comes, who knows? But you know. You just know, oh, I'm saved. I'm saved. And this, I'm no longer having any faith about being saved, are you? No, we don't have any more. We're not exercising any more faith about being saved. We know we are saved. We go around this room where he says, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. No matter what we just did, we say, I'm saved. Because that become, that's become reality to us. We're fixing that. We're fixing that. But the illustration is this, that the revelation of God has broken through into appearances and become more real to us than the appearances that we're still sinners. I was in uh, Charlotte this January. I don't know if any of you were there or not. This, this is just an experience that happened there. But we were <clears throat> in a sharing meeting, and there was a, a person in the room who, re who several times said in, in, at what seemed to be the appropriate time for her, but I'm a sinner. But I'm a sinner. Fifteen more minutes, but I'm a sinner. 
And I wanted to, I, I don't think I verbalized it that night, but the things come to me, oh my dear, you're not a sinner, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Where are your eyes? Are they on the truth? Or are they on the appearances? You see, if our eyes are still on the appearances, we're still sinners. If our eyes are on the reality that looks like foolishness to man, but that God has broken through, broken through and into our consciousness and made real to us, then our eyes are on that truth. And that truth has captured us. And we live by that truth. The last trip that we took to Hawaii, I was thinking along these lines. I said, you know, what kind of a God is it that would only take you halfway? That's a tyrant. That's not a God. And I know we don't believe it, but we live it. Because here's what the majority of believing people live. Now, he saved me from sin's past. Patted me on the fanny. Said, now, make the... Make the rest of the way yourself, brother. I'll meet you at the end. Yeah, we do. To some variation or some varying degrees of that, we think, I got saved, now I've got to go it along. Alone. Sometimes with his help, sometimes without his help. But the emphasis, as I said, or the emphasis, the spotlight is still on me. I've got to make it. I've got to do it. I've got to perform. I've got to live up. I've got to obey. I've got to keep somebody else's rules. Somebody play someone else's game. The instant you see it still, I, 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 I. What kind of a God is that? It would just say, past sins are forgiven, not go the rest of the way. That's the beautiful thing that I see that Paul did for us in that sixth chapter of Romans. He took that cross, and the front, this side of it is what most of us have seen. The blood for sins. And he turned that cross around. He said, I see something here that I've never seen before. I see a, a universal meaning of that cross. Not just a particular meaning for that cross, my particular sins that work out here. See, because we're, we're, we are time and separated oriented people. And like Norman said earlier, we don't really see Mr. Sin because we're not conscious of being indwelt by spirit. We see sin. And so the gospel has to be presented to us in order to deal with what we think is important. What we think is important is sins. What is it wonderful to know that if you can get rid of the producer, you don't have any products? So Paul turned that cross around and said, I see a universal truth. Not only has Jesus Christ dealt with the products in the blood, he's dealt with the producer in the body. Now we're back to above the line again. And it's to this great truth that Paul witnesses in Galatians 2.20, which is kind of our marching orders for this, kind of our uh, established stake, isn't it, <clears throat> for this great truth. Where he says those two great statements that belong above the line. I have been crucified with Christ, and Christ lives in me. Those are truths that were made known to Paul by revelation. They are never, never, and never shall be apparent to the naked eye. I cannot look at you, you cannot look at me and tell you're dead in Christ, and Christ lives in you. It will come from a confession you'd make, which is the Spirit of God being breathed out through you 
and you confess to this great truth. But it's revelation. You see, we don't have a God that just takes us halfway and this says, I don't have any revelation truth for the next phase. I'll meet you at the end. Because, you see, at the end, we've got another great revelation truth. We've got the revelation truth that resurrection swallows up death. The rest of the world doesn't believe that. They say death's the end. Better live it up now. Better get it now. Better enjoy it now because after death is nothing. Well, that's what it looks like on the level of appearances, doesn't it? It looks like that's the end. But we've got a truth from that God has given us and broken into our consciousness and said, Oh, no, there's no sting in death. Because there's a greater truth to be absent in the body to be present with the Lord. And so here we are. We've got a great truth in the first phase. We've got a great truth in the third phase. But we ain't got nothing in the middle. And in the middle is where we live every day of our lives. Now, if I don't have a revelation for the middle of my life, what do I have? I have just appearances. What are appearances? Appearances are the fruit of the tree of good and evil. So that is, to me, the explanation why we have so much emphasis in Christendom on ethics. Do good. Make your good deeds outnumber your bad deeds. Obey. Strive. Try. Now listen. I've seen it for me. I don't lay it on you. Of the knowledge the tree of good and evil, small g, small e, is still evil, with a capital E. It is never good that's acceptable to God. Boy, that was a revelation to me. Good and evil is evil. Because the, only, the one who introduced that was Mr. Evil. And good and evil is the life of the evil one in us. So good is never God's kind of good. Never God's kind of good. So we can keep polishing that apple till it freezes over. And it will never be good. That's exactly, isn't it? Isn't that the controversy that Jesus had repeatedly with the Pharisees? Your goodness is nothing. You polish the outside of the cup. But what inside, whatever that means, <laughs> inside the cup. But we will play that game. We must, we would do to that game until a revelation comes. And has God left himself without a witness for the now? Of course not. That's what Paul saw. He turned that cross around and said, Oh, God has a word for now. God has a good word for now. God has a complete word for now. God has an all word for now. And this isn't like soap suds all, where next year there'll be a new improved all. This is all. This is the all there is. 
Paul lays out for us the, the, the formula for communion. He says, we must all partake of that body, which is symbolized in the bread. We must all partake of that body. He doesn't say that about the blood. We receive the benefits of the blood. I'm so glad you left that out today. See, I get to use it. <laughs> we receive the, the benefits of the blood. But he said, we all partake of that body. Now, this was no problem for a Jewish thinker. Because they could very well handle what is generally called corporate solidarity. We don't handle much of that. Sometimes we do when we begin to think of the family reunion and clans and something like that, or Americans or uh, North Carolinians, you know, that kind of thing. But we don't really think too much in terms of corporate solidarity. But, but Paul, had, Paul and some of the other writers had no trouble here at all. I think there's a good illustration of it in, in the book of Hebrews. Somewhere. Chapter 7. The specific verse is verse 9. But what is happening in here is that the writer of the book of Hebrews is showing the superiority of Abraham, the way of faith and grace, over Levi, the way of law. And he makes a curious statement here in verse 9. He says, And I may all say, and I may so say, Levi also, who receives tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. Well, how could that be? How could that be? He wasn't, he wasn't alive. But see, the, the Jewish mind had no trouble in seeing Levi in the loins of Abraham. Why? Because he was later, he, he later came out as the issue. Of who? Jacob? Back to, back to Abraham. So the whole human race would be in the loins of the one who was considered to be the head of the race. That's why Jesus could say uh, it, to those, well, that's why the, the, the enemies of Jesus, the antagonists of Jesus said, we're Abraham's seed. But 2,000 years separated them from Abraham. But they didn't have any trouble jumping that because they said, oh, we were in his loins. Even though we've come out birth by birth by birth by birth, we were in his loins because he's our daddy. So Paul had no trouble with this concept at all. Because he could see that he is now a product of this second Adam. He's a Christian. So the first Christian he knew was Jesus Christ. So all Christians came out of Jesus Christ. They were in his loins. Now, of course, he gets real wild over there in 2 Corinthians 5. He sees the whole, all humanity in his loins, and, and that's true. They are in his loins. The whole human race is in his loins. We're just bringing the good news there in his loins. And they're really already, everything's taken care of. Just begin to believe it. But here in Romans 6 he's, and in Galatians 2.20, he's thinking about himself. So he comes to the right conclusion as he turns that cross around. Whatever happened to that body happened to me because I was in that body. I was in that body. And in Galatians 2.20, that first revelation was, I've been crucified with Christ. That's so important for us to see. Because, as you know, let's just go over the fundamental. As you know, crucified meant what? Death. Death. And when death takes place, the spirit that, operate, that 
lives in the vessel, leaves the vessel. You are cut off from the spirit that was housed in that vessel. Now Paul saw, we don't all see it yet, but Paul saw what, what Norman was emphasizing earlier today, that he wasn't a nature, he was a vessel. And that the nature he contained was the nature of Mr. Unbelief, Mr. Self-Centeredness. Because, you see, as long when we're lost and we still live in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it doesn't matter about the eternally matter about the good or the bad. We're still operating from self-centeredness. We're still operating under the umbrella of total unbelief. So above this line, how is God seeing the unbelief? He's seeing a vessel indwelled by Mr. Satan. The good and bad that's going on below the line that everyone else is looking at has no eternal consequences at all. There's nothing in the absolute in that at all. The absolute is expressed above that line. God sees that vessel indwelt by, by, by Satan. And that's what Paul saw. God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that I might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. He that is dead is what? Freed from sin. Sin has gone out of the vessel. <coughs> We've not been divorced from it. We've died to him. He can never be housed in that vessel again. We can never be an expression of unbelief again. It's an impossibility. We can think we are. <clears throat> we can operate like we are, but we never are. Why? Because his seed remaineth in us. <clears throat> you won't see that when God breaks through and shows you that. When, he, when God breaks through and shows you that, you won't see anything else. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But that's only one half, as you well know the story. Paul saw that when Jesus' body lay in the grave those hours, there was no life in that body. <coughs> As Norman said earlier, death is not death, death is destiny. Where does the spirit go when it dies? We know Jesus went to hell. He didn't go up to the gates of hell, he went into hell. He drank the cup. He tasted the, the gall that was ours. He became Mr. Unbelief for all the unbelievers. He went in there by faith. That's the struggle of Gethsemane. Part of it. Got to walk by faith. Will I come out? Will I know the victory I've been talking about? And then Paul saw the last day, on the third day, God put the spirit of life back in that body and raised that same body from the dead. See, there never was a change in the body, was it? It was a change of spirits. Change of spirits. Change of natures. And Paul said, that's here. I've been crucified with Christ. Not divorced from sin, but crucified with Christ. I've been permanently, eternally, and forever separated from being an expression of Mr. Sin. And 
and I am now indwelt by the one who pleases God in everything he does. I am indwelt by Mr. Other Love. I am now indwelt by the one, as Norman said earlier, who doesn't say to hell with you and everything but for me. But I am now indwelt by the one who says to hell with me. That you can have everything. But we now exist for the universe. We now exist, as Paul said in Ephesians, for the praise of his glory. Until we see this, we, we want to keep believing that God exists for my praise. For my glory. For my benefit. For my help. For my strength. And he's tricked you again. He's tricked you again. You exist for the praise of his glory. But there's the joy. We confess that we are supposed to love ourselves. We're supposed to, I mean by that, fulfill ourselves. There are two ways. I can be an expression of Mr. Self-Love and be a taker and a taker and a taker. But we've been there, haven't we? And you know what we learn? It's like thought water. You're never satisfied. It never brings you to completion. But when we're replaced by Him and we begin to Observe and be a part of him living his life through our humanity for his love purposes. And we really see, I am fulfilling my desires. I really am realizing what life is all about. Because I am seeing, and this is this kind of an eye, we are seeing living waters poured out a thirsty world. Living water. Oh, the tragedy of just thinking we're divorced from evil. Oh, the beauty of seeing what we're dead to it. We're dead to him. Set your minds on things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And you will bask in victory. You may walk it through hell, but you will bask in victory. You may feel the fiery darts of the evil one, but you shall never be touched. You may look struck down, but you'll be lifted up. You may look weak, but you'll be strong. You may look dead, but you'll be alive. You may look a fool, but you're royal son. You may look like a motley rabble, but you're royal priesthood. 
God's own children, God's own sons, God's own forms, through whom he's pouring out his love life on a world that's waiting to see the truth. Again and again and again, my attention is drawn in the New Testament to those interesting people who heard him gladly. You, I know one re- I know one reason they did, because they didn't have any appearances to live on, did they? The people that don't hear him gladly usually are living on appearances, on comparisons. I look better than you look. I live on a different side of town than you live on. I've got a different kind of education you've got. My bank account's bigger than yours. My church is bigger than yours. Our, our spire almost reaches the clouds. Oh, but harlots and publicans and lepers and blind and halt and lame, they had no appearances. And it didn't bother them that he didn't have any. Because they were dead and hungry and they saw life. When you're deceived, you don't see life. But when you're blind, and somehow or another, through the magic of medicine, they can give you sight. You can see life. ago, I closed a little devotion with Oswald Chambers' word, that we're broken bread and poured out wine. And Dave Stoner got up and finished it for me. I hadn't read it in Oswald in quite some time, but he said, it finishes like this, and we have no authority over who drinks and who eats. yourself on the shelf and not have to worry anymore about what's my fruit, what's my gift, what's my talent. But just get that thing settled and say, God, I'm your mess. And once you understand you're his mess, then you say, now God, I'm your perfect expression of you in my form. And I may look like lemons to somebody, but there are folks that like lemons. And you may look like oranges to somebody, but there's folks that like oranges that don't like lemons. There are folks that like apples that don't like oranges. And on and on it goes. And they'll see your light. And they'll come to you. And they'll pick you. They give me your oranges. Give me your apples. Give me your lemons. Give me your fruit. Give me your fruit. Then I saw the secret of Jesus. He knew more than he was just dying for the world. 
He knew that he was going to be reigning in lives. And that draws people to him. I've said it before. When I only knew Jesus died for me, I had to go knocking on doors. When I knew Christ lived in me, and I was the light of the world, and the soul of the earth, and his love expression and damn form. Those who see that in me, come for it. And when you know that reality and be willing to confess it, you'll draw them to you. Yes, we sang a hymn, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So will you. You're a post on, aren't you? You will draw your seers to you. And you will give them light. You will give them life. Oh, my belief is that God is breaking through the, the intellectual barriers. Right through that to our spirit. And he's speaking his confirming word. Hey, that's who you really are. Wink. It ain't you, it's me. That's who you are. You're not a liability to me. You're an asset to me. I've got to have you, knowing I live in you, to touch your world. people I know would like to have a confirmation of that, then they'd be willing to confess it. Because that's the way the world works. The world works on you learn to be a doctor and we'll call you one. God works on say you're a doctor and I'll teach you to be one. <laughs> say I'm you and I'll show you I am. Just Whisper it in your spirit. I am. And then I'll show you I am. In all my beautiful manifested colors, I'll show you I am in you. But you must affirm before I will confirm. And then every time there's a doubt about that affirmation, you just repeat it. Repeat affirming what God has already confirmed to you. I don't look like it, but I am. I don't feel like it, but I am. I don't think I am, but I am. And God says, oh, that's good. That's good. You see, the only thing I can notice that really excited Jesus in the New Testament was the response of faith. Master, you don't even have to come down to my house. Just say the word, my servant will be healed. Well, I never heard anything like that out of you, birds. Did you hear what he said? Did you hear that? Oh, that's it. That's it. He's saying something's done before he sees it. Oh, blessed are those who believe and never see it. Master, heal my daughter. Get away from me, woman. I've just come to the lost house of Israel. I know that, Master. But she moved right on in beyond that rebuff because she didn't see it as a rebuff. She moved right on through that. 
to show our faith. Oh, yes, Master Beaten Dogs eat the crumbs. Oh, that's right. You see who I really am. I'm just not for the lost out of this. I'm for you too. Go your way, your daughter's well. Master, can I walk to you on the water? Oh, shoot, come on. There are no red lights on faith. All everybody else wants to run up red lights. Say, be careful, be careful, be sure, test the ice, test the water, be sure, be sure. Don't want to look like a fool. God said, look like a fool. Say what I'm doing. Say who I am. Say what's going on in this world. Say it, say it, say it. I'll show you the truth. And the whole world may never see it. You'll see it. You'll see it. Esau walked out of his tent and said, hmm, hmm, we got trouble. Walked back in his tent, shook old Elisha and said, I tell you, there's, there's, there's trouble out here. The army of the king's out here. Elisha prayed a prayer. Lord, open his eyes. He may see. Now, what did Elisha see? Saw the horses and chariots of fire on the mountain. Gazer's eyes open, he saw his victory. You have the eyes of faith, you'll see victory. If you can dare to believe, you're dead to sin. You'll know it's reality. You'll dare confess the absolutes of God about your life. I have total victory. I have total him. Have total love, total joy, total peace, total, 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 absolute. You dare confess it. God will show you the reality. God will show you the reality. Now the rest of our evening is going to be spent sharing. And uh, oh, we were just blessed this afternoon. Wasn't that terrific? Just so grand to hear people given us the word of the Lord in their own form, the life that God's given them in their own form. And praise the Lord. Those, are, those experiences are so meaningful. They speak different ways. You know, that's like apples and oranges. And, you know, that's just you're giving off your fruit. That's